With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Football season is finally upon us. Hello and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode and a brand new season of Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill podcast. Well, a lot has changed around here. Uh, We're coming up on a new season. We've got new colors. We've got a new logo here for Cardiac Hill with the new colors. And we are thrilled to be beginning a new football season. The 2019 college football season begins, or really the season begins in just a couple of days. But pit football season begins in a little over a week. And to break everything down, we have former host of co-host of this podcast and current Panther Lair contributor and pit insider, Jim Hammett. Jim, thank you so much for joining us and uh, returning to Unscripted. Yeah, it's always good to be back. I always like to step into the podcast game. It's always good to join my former co-host. Well, uh, absolutely thrilled to have you. We had a lot of great times on this podcast. Still going, and now you are even closer to the program, so you are a wealth of knowledge uh, to to pick your brain. So what we're going to do later on in the episode, we're going to go... Uh, and do a record prediction, what we think Pitt's record's going to be, what games they win, what games they lose. And you're going to want to stay tuned for that because, folks, Jim last year picked every single game correctly. So if now the sports betting is totally legal, you're going to want to listen to Jim. You're, you're going to want to hear his word, his gospel. But first, we're going to do a position-by-position breakdown on this Pitt football team and what, should, what we should expect to see. So we're going to start at quarterback. And of course, quarterback, we'll, we'll talk about sort of the offense on uh, on a broader scale. And so uh, for Pitt, they certainly had a change on the offensive end after a really poor year offensively. I think everyone would agree. They made a change at offensive coordinator. Kenny Pickett did not have a good season. The passing game was just non-existent. And uh, they fired the offensive coordinator and they brought in Mark Whipple. And they're hoping that he's sort of a, a quarterback whisperer. He worked with Ben Roethlisberger in college, and uh, it, we'll see what he can do. But, uh, of course, leading the charge at quarterback for the Pitt Panthers is Kenny Pickett, who two seasons ago, in 2017, had a huge year. Uh, I should say just a huge couple of games coming on late. He had a huge performance against Miami. People thought he was going to be the next big thing for the Panthers. And then last year, 2018, he seemed to regress a bit, and he just wasn't really the same player that we all thought Pitt was going to get, and we don't know exactly how much of that was just him, how much was on the offensive coordinator and the play calling. Jim, what have you seen from Kenny Pickett when you talk about training camp and the offseason and all that, and how much do you think Mark Whipple, the new offensive coordinator, is going to change things? Yeah, I mean, it's such a noticeably different vibe um, from last camp to this camp. And, uh, you know, I actually kind of mentioned that the other day and I wrote about it. It's just, 
you know, last year it was Kenny Pickett this, it was Kenny Pickett that. Uh, every day after the interviews, after practice, it would be like, well, he didn't throw an interception today and he didn't do this. And so, I mean, it, it was just such a different vibe last year because everyone had sky-high expectations for him. Then, of course, last year happened. He had a couple good games, but obviously ended the season on a sour note. So going into this year, um, it's not that same hype. It's not that same vibe. Um, you know, you don't hear about Kenny Pickett every day. And it was almost like at a point halfway through camp, I was like, well, when's the last time we even talked to this guy? But uh, I, I do think, um, you know, when you talk to players, they say they've always said he's a good leader. They always say he walks around with confidence and, uh, you know, and they even said he's more of a leader than last year. He's not afraid to tell people what to do. So I think the big thing is obviously how he takes to Mark Whipple's coaching. And like you, you said, you kind of set it up, but Mark Whipple is a you know coaching veteran. He's worked with a lot of different quarterbacks. Uh, he's worked at every different level. Uh, you know, he's had success almost everywhere he's been, even even as as UMass last year, they did, they didn't win a lot of games. They still had a really good offense. So that's kind of what he was brought here to do. So, I mean, I think it really comes down to can they just put Kenny Pickett in successful situations? And, I, I you know kind of play to his strengths and sometimes last year it didn't seem like Pitt was doing that they were kind of asking him to do a little bit too much the route tree always looked a little bit off so I think if they can just get him simple throws uh, kind of spread him out a little bit let him use his feet because he likes to do that and you know simplify the game for him and I think Mark Whipple will be able to do that uh, you know just with his experience working at the college level well that's certainly the hope of all Pitt fans because, yeah, I mean, we, we talked about it on this podcast. We uh, did an emergency episode after the firing of, uh, of Sean Watson because that was such a big storyline of last year, especially when you look at that bowl game. The thing that the problem with with pit football for a while now is is they have come out flat in bowl games. And that was certainly the ex- uh, no exception last year. And the issue with that is that's what you're thinking about all offseason long. So while the offense was pretty bad all year, the fact that just how abysmal they were, especially, again, the passing game in that bowl game in El Paso against Stanford, that's been in everyone's minds. And I think everyone knew that Pitt had to move on from Sean Watson, that that was certainly a problem. They did it. And so, yeah, we don't know exactly what we're going to, see from Whipple. We don't know what we're going to see from Pickett, but you just have to figure based off of what we saw last year that it can't get much worse. And and Jim, based on what you're saying, it seems like spirits are high and and yeah, they they're not relying on Kenny Pickett to do everything and they're not they don't he's not going to be the savior or anything, but he can still be a very solid and a good quarterback in the ACC. Yeah, I mean, I think that's all they're really asking him to be. I think last year, the the running game was so good. So there were some games where, you know, they only asked him to throw the ball 10 times. So I do think he's going to be able to do more than that. I do think Pitt's offense, the passing game in general, is going to be a little bit better. I mean, I, I don't think Pitt's going to, you know, turn into a Big 12 team or, or something like that. I, it, Pitt is what it is. They have their identity. They're a running team. But I think Kenny Pickett's going to be able to open up the passing game a little bit more. So I think that was the key this offseason was to find balance. I think I think that's what this is all about. And I think that's something they, they're, they're hoping that Mark we- Mark Whipple can achieve. Well, as I said, that's certainly a hope for all Pitt fans out there, and and it'll be very interesting. That, of course, quarterbacks always monitored closely, but with 
how bad the passing game was last year and how much potential we've seen from Kenny Pickett, that's going to be a big thing to keep an eye on. So now let's move on to the running back position. You talked about the powerful running game last year. Obviously, the two top running backs in the program, both off uh, they, they graduated. I saw Quadri Olison uh, just did some big things the other night in a preseason game for the Falcons. So uh, they're, they're off having success. Now it's going to be up to some new guys. I mean, uh, you've got Sibley, you've got Davis, you've really got a handful of people. So, Jim, in your opinion, based on what you've seen from the program, who should we look to at the running back position to really take a step up and follow in that mold of running back you? Yeah, I mean, Pitt, Pitt does not have a ton of experience at the running back uh, position this year, but they do have uh, some guys with some high pedigree. I mean, I think this is a spot where Pitt has always recruited well, and I think it kind of goes to their reputation that they're usually able to track down a good running back because they run the ball a lot. So, you know, A.J. Davis was the four-star coming out of high school. Todd Sipley played in the Under Armour All-American game. So did Michael Salhoudin, uh, even incoming freshman Daniel Carter playing in that game. So they, they usually find good, talented running backs. So I think the big thing this camp is they were they were trying to find that one guy or even a, a one-two punch that can, you know, kind of carry the legacy on. And I don't know if they found it yet. I think we're going to see kind of – that opening night but I think you look at AJ Davis and I think he's going to get the first crack uh, he's played a little bit in his career so I think he's one to watch and I think Todd Sibley he kind of dealt with some injuries last year he only actually touched the ball one time last year so th- those are probably going to be your main guys but I do want to you know have you know mentioned that uh you know Valique Carter's still around and he he kind of came on and hit the scene running last year uh kind of as a surprise player he was a converted defensive back they put him in in the Duke game and he had this tremendous game so I think he's a weapon to watch in the running game and, and a name we keep hearing uh you know from the coaches it, it, you know we see around the program and that kind of thing is Vincent Davis. Uh, he's a true freshman. He was actually the less heralded of the two true freshmen coming into the program, but he, you know, he's built a little bit differently. He's kind of more like Vlee Carter where he's a speedy guy, but you know, I keep hearing the words, he's explosive, he's fast. He's, you know, this new role in college football where you're allowed to play four games and still keep your red shirt. I I've heard someone tell me that they think he might be too good to redshirt. They're going to just need his speed on the field. So I think they have options. And I think really what it comes down to is, uh, you know, who kind of emerges in those first one or two games and, you know, maybe ride that hot hand uh, down the stretch. Well, that'll be very interesting to see, especially, you know, with with the Panthers. This is a, a program that for a while now, I mean, we talk about all the great running backs, but also lately they have been going with sort of a a two-headed monster and sometimes even more. I mean, we saw that last year. We saw it before that. Even James Conner, he was the main guy, but he still had Quadriolison behind him and and even before that. So uh, especially with the players that they have, the personnel that they've got, I think it's to be expected that we'll see maybe not just one person emerge, but you might see a you know one a and a one b and then even you know a, a third guy come in and really have a bunch of guys contribute. I mean that seems to be what Pat Narduzzi likes to do at the running back position. And if anything, this is the year where that's really going to play a factor because you don't have one very obvious number one. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you kind of look at the, you know, the six guys in that room that they call it. And, you know, A.J. Davis and Todd Slippy, they're probably the guys that are most like Allison and Hall, where they take one cut and they're up the field. But then you have those guys like Philippe Carter and Michael Saladin and Vincent Davis that are a little bit speedier and can kind of change pace. So you kind of have the best of both worlds. You kind of have the guys that are inside runners. You also have the guys that are potential home run threats. And I think that's, you know, in, in today's call or in football in general, even at the NFL and college level, you need more than one running back. These guys can't take that many hits. So I, I think they have some options and it'll be interesting to see, you know, on September or August 31st, who is that uh, main guy? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as you mentioned, Valik Carter, you know, for some spot plays and some big plays, I think there'll be a lot coming out of the running back position and Pitt in the past couple of years has really made itself known on the offensive end as a running team. So that'll be a position to highlight. Now let's talk about the wide receivers. This is a position with a lot more uh, experience with some more known commodities. Just looking at the depth chart, you've got Maurice French, Taysir Mack, uh, Shockey Jacques-Louis, Aaron Matthews, Trey Tipton. So you've got a lot of guys who are on this team who have talent, but have also seen the field and have contributed for the Panthers. Uh, what should we expect with all of these options at wide receiver? Who should we expect to really take those steps up? Because, of course, we're going to be seeing a lot of depth. All these guys are going to get on the field. But who should we really look to to be the number one and even number two wide receivers? Yeah, I, I think the one and two guys, I think that should be pretty set. And I think you look at this position, like you said, uh, there's a lot of experience here. There might not have been a lot of opportunity because Pitt didn't really throw the ball much last year. But uh, Maurice French is a guy that, you know, he needs to get the ball in his hands a lot. He had 35 catches last year. Uh, they used him in the running game. Uh, they used him in the return game. So I think he's kind of that dynam dynamic weapon. Then you also have a guy like Taysier Mack. He missed a couple games last year, but, you know, he did haul in 25 passes, his 22.3 yards per average was I think first in the ACC so those two guys right there uh, they're experienced they've played in big games they've made big plays before so I think you know it, it, even though Pitt wasn't known as a passing team last year I think those are two guys that you can kind of look at and say okay they're the leaders of this group and you know even going down a little bit further you have a guy like Aaron Matthews I mean he he, he played a lot last year and he, he was noted for his blocking Trey Tipton's a senior that's been around for a long time so I mean you have four guys right there that, you know, they've played a lot of football. They've been on the field a lot. And, you know, some of them have made some big plays. So I think that's, uh, you know, that's a positive for a guy like Kenny Pickett where, you know, he's trying to improve as a passer and he should have some experienced guys to throw the ball to. That's certainly going to be beneficial because, yeah, th there is so much experience here. There's a lot of depth. And I think that is absolutely going to be beneficial to Kenny Pickett and, We'll see about, you talk about the two guys, Maurice French and Taysier Mack, really seeing if they can take a big step up and uh, and fill that role because there hasn't been a, a super prominent, you know, number one wide receiver at Pitt for a couple of years now. And it'll be interesting. I, I, I certainly think that Maurice French can do it. He's got so much talent. He is a playmaker. I think Taysier Mack is also extremely talented. And a lot of these other guys can come in and make some plays. But Maurice French does seem to be someone who can really take that step up. And I'm not saying he's going to be Tyler Boyd, but can certainly uh, sort of fit into that mold of a playmaker, can do it all, sort of a, a number one wide receiver. Uh, also, just sticking with the passing game, Jim, T 
taking a look at tight end. Now, this seems to be one of the weaker positions on the depth chart, at least in terms of uh, experience. You don't really have an obvious fit there. So who's going to be the the person at tight end, and how much is that position going to really matter in this offense? I mean, I think they're definitely going to use it. I think uh, they, they have intentions to line up with the tight end. And, I, you know, even from the scrimmages we're hearing, they're getting opportunities to touch the ball, not just block. But I think it really comes down to a couple of transfers, Nakia Griffin-Stewart from uh, from Rutgers. And he also came from an offense that, that didn't use the tight end a lot. So he's kind of an unknown commodity. But, the, you know, he's kind of the guy that they think he can catch the ball and block. He's kind of the prototypical tight end. Then you also have a guy like Will Gregg from Arkansas. He was actually with the pit team last year um you know he was at one time a big recruit and he you know we talked to him in the preseason or you know a couple weeks ago and he said he put on 30 pounds he's feeling great uh he's probably more of a pass catching threat than uh griffin stewart and you also have a guy like grant kerrigan he you know he's almost borderline offensive lineman so they have different uh different personnel groupings for different alignments and you know however they want to play it so they have a guy that can block they can i have a guy that can catch and they have a guy that can do both so they have they have options it's just a matter of you know we don't know how much they're going to really see the ball this year right it does seem to be a a position i i would say maybe the biggest question mark certainly one of the biggest question marks in terms of a unit and i I guess it is fitting based on this the entire passing game we talk about how poor it was last year and how we don't really know what we're going to get from it this year and so that's going to be the area where it sort of depends if if this team passes more than we think and Kenny Pickett is better than he was significantly better than he was last season. Then we'll see a big uh, increase in tight end usage and some of these guys like Greg or Kerrigan, they're going to step up. But if the offense continues to struggle and Pickett isn't doing too much and it's still a run for not only run first, but run second and third and fourth offense, then we might not see so much from that position. To wrap up the offense, Jim, let's talk about the offensive line because I know we we harp on the play calling, we we harp on Kenny Pickett, but there was certainly an issue last year with the offensive line. Kenny Pickett was not getting time to make his reads, to get rid of the ball. The offensive line, when it comes to pass protection, uh, struggled a lot. So what are we looking at for this year on the offensive line? Yeah, I mean, I, I look at last year's offensive line and – I looked and it looked like they started one center and four guards. It just never looked like there was a natural tackle on the field. And I think that's why they were very good at run blocking, but I think that's also why they struggled in pass blocking. And, uh, you know, I think they maximized their potential. I think they even exceeded expectations, but at the same time that, that, that unit had a bit of a ceiling. Uh, they, they kind of hit a wall. Whereas this unit, I think it's younger. I think there's some more athletic guys. I think there's actually tackles on the team. I think, uh, you know, they, they're starting a a lot of underclassmen so I think this is a unit that they're hoping can gel for a couple years and you know kind of provide protection for Kenny Pickett from this year next year and you know and beyond so it starts with I think Carter Warren he's the left tackle um, he, he kind of won the job in spring and he's kind of carried over into the fall. I mean, he's a big six foot five, 320 pound offensive lineman. We talked to coach Dave Borbley and, you know, they're expecting big things out of him. So I think he's, he's only a sophomore. So 
uh, you know, he he has he has some potential. He has some untapped talent. And I think another guy you have to watch for, of course, is Jimmy Morrissey. He started the past two years at center, and he's uh, actually went from walk-on to being one of the best centers in the ACC. So I think he's another guy you need to keep in mind. And and I think Brace Hargrove is another one to watch. Uh, he's going to play left guard this year. He was kind of like the sixth man of the offensive line last year where, you know, they would bring him in and he could kind of plug and play. And he actually had to start a couple games last year due to injuries. So I think they have a little bit of experience there, but yeah, it really comes down to, I mean, uh, you know, the, the coaches have said all, all camp, it's like, yeah, Carter Warren looks good, but will he look good on Saturday night on national TV against Virginia? It's hard to say. So I, I, there's some unprovenness to this line, but I think there's a little bit more talent and a little more upside than there was, you know, last year. That again, you talk about tight end, the offensive line, Probably the biggest question mark uh, in terms of units on this team because we just really don't know what to expect. And there were some good moments last year, and certainly the running game. Olison and Hall had, did a, a fantastic job, but certainly some weak points. And we're not exactly sure what we'll see from this year, so we'll we'll be keeping an eye out on that moving forward. Now let's over to let's head over to the defensive side, Jim. This is a unit that had a big year a season ago. Pat Narduzzi, defensive-minded coach, formerly a defensive coordinator, of course, and we all were sort of waiting for the what what was promised essentially this Narduzzi brand defense to come through, and it took a little while. It didn't happen uh, for a bit, and now finally last season they really stepped it up, and the defense started to look like what people were expecting when Pitt hired Pat Narduzzi. So let's start on the defensive line. There was some bad news for the Panthers in preseason. Rashad Weaver, uh, defensive end, big piece of the defense, was expected to be a huge piece of the defense, and he is out for the season. So, Jim, I'll start it off. How much are they going to miss Rashad Weaver, and how are they going to fill that hole? Yeah, I mean, that's that's such a big loss, and you could argue he was one of the top three or four guys on the whole team they couldn't afford to lose. Uh, he really started to show a lot of promise last year. He was one of the top returning pass rushers in the ACC. He, he, he's just a really good football player, and I think he's a guy that people think have pro potential. I mean, he's he, he's everything you would want in a college defensive end. He's 6'5", he's 260, he can move, and he, he has a knack for making plays. So I think losing him really, really hurts. And it's not so much just losing him, it's just that they do have defensive ends behind them, but you know a lot of these guys are freshmen and sophomores and true freshmen. So uh, you know they have bodies at defensive end, but they just don't have a lot of experience. So you know losing Weaver uh, hurts just from his production standpoint, but it also you know kind of forces some younger guys probably into bigger roles than they were expecting this season. Yeah, and and all of a sudden that becomes a big question mark now on how badly you're going to miss him. Now looking more sort of on the the inside of the defensive line, uh, led by Amir Watts. That seems to be a position where Pitt should be a little bit more confident, that they, they do have uh, some solid guys to be up in the trenches. Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest story of camp is they, it's pretty much come out that uh, the coaches aren't very shy about talking of Jalen Twyman. He's a redshirt sophomore, and he's kind of emerged as that probably top option inside at defensive tackle. Uh, he started to play a little bit last year, I think started one or two games, but I think they're really expecting a lot of him. And, you know, uh, you know, st- you know, lining up next to him, you have a guy like Amir Watts, who's played a lot of football. You have a guy like Kay- 
Keyshawn Camp that's played a lot of football. So Narduzzi has referenced a couple times during camp that he said, I feel like I have three starters. So he, he, he said that multiple times. So I think they're probably feeling comfortable with those three right there. And I think they have some talented younger guys behind them because, again, this is one of the positions. I think you kind of look at running back and defensive tackle and maybe even safety as some of the safe or some of the positions that Pitt has recruited well in the past three or four years. So I think they're pretty well stocked at defensive tackle. But those first three, Twyman, Camp, and Watts, I think they, they have a lot of game experience. And I think they're really expecting big things out of Twyman. Well, we'll certainly keep an eye on uh, Jalen Twyman, the sophomore, redshirt sophomore, and see if he has a breakout season. Now let's talk about the linebackers. This is another group. They've got some names coming back. Uh, nothing that is, you know, necessarily going to be a, a first-team All-ACC guy. But, again, there certainly are names. Uh, you've got Chase Pine and, and Phil Campbell and Celine Brightwell. And then leading the unit, it seems is Elias Reynolds. Jim, being around the team, what have you seen from the, the linebacker unit? You're just talking to Rob Harley, the linebackers coach, the other day following practice. I mean, it's it's a position where he, he, he said there's basically six names for three spots, and you know none of them have actually been settled yet. I think that's kind of the interesting thing that's happened right now, but I think Celine Brightwell and Elias Reynolds, they both have starting experience, and they're kind of battling it out in the middle. I think Phil Campbell and... Cam Brighter were kind of battling it out, kind of replaced Sean Idowu on that star linebacker position. Campbell has some experience playing on the field as a safety. Bright got a little experience last year. Then the, the other uh, kind of the strong side of the field, you have you know Chase Pine, who's been a name in this program for a long time. He's a name that people have been waiting to kind of break out. He was a big recruit out of the state of Virginia. Pitt had to kind of fight off Virginia Tech to win that recruiting battle. And they, they brought in Kylan Johnson, a graduate transfer from Florida, to kind of compete with him for that spot. And, and Kylan Johnson has had an injury-riddled career, but he has, he has starting experience in the SEC. He's made some plays for the Florida Gators throughout the year. So those are your kind of six names. So, I mean, you could – you know, throw them in a bag, shuffle up the names, and whatever three you pick could start on Saturday, the first game against Virginia. I mean, it's it's kind of that unsettled. So it, they at least feel confident. It looks like an athletic group, but again, it's you know you're replacing three starters in Elijah Zay, Sean Idowu, and Quentin Warginis. So it, it, it's an unsettled position, but I think they I think they feel confident that they're they're going to find that right three man combination. Well, yeah, the the linebacker position. That's another you talk about sort of the wide receiver position, and that might have more set starters. But again, another position with a lot of talented guys, a lot of guys with experience, and uh, you, you can't really go wrong with a handful of them. So that'll be uh, a, a solid position. Now moving on to the, the last unit, we're going to sort of combine cornerback and safety, and that's the defensive backfield. And this is probably the strongest unit, definitely the strongest unit on the defense, maybe the strongest unit on the entire team. Jim, talk about how much talent these guys have and how much this is going to lead the pit defense, how much they're going to look to these guys. DeMar Hamlin, uh, 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 Paris Ford, to see if he can take a big step up. Dane Jackson, what are you looking for uh, out of the defensive backs? Again, this is a, a spot, both spots actually, are where Pat Narduzzi has referenced that he has three starters at, at corner. He feels confident with Dane Jackson, Jason Pinnock, and Damari Mathis. Uh, Dane Jackson, this is going to be his third year as a starter, and he's been a solid ACC contributor for three years. Uh, Jason Pinnock's a guy that's kind of came on last year and played very well, even against 
you know, Stanford and Clemson, he, he was making good pass deflections against good NFL-type receivers. Uh, Damari Mathis, I think he had a really big play against Virginia last year. So he feels confident with those three corners. And like you said, going to safety, this is Damar Hamlin. This is his senior year. He's been playing a lot of football, you know, the past three years. Uh, and ja Jazzy Stalker, another guy, he's he's been around. He's a senior. He's played a lot of football. And obviously the wild card in the bunch is Paris Ford. I mean, he he is the highest rated recruit Pat Narduzzi has ever landed. Uh, he, he was a big time player out of high school and it just hasn't materialized yet. But if he lives up to what he's supposed to be, I mean, I, I think this could it could take it from a, a good secondary to a really good secondary. I mean, if if you have a playmaker like, you know, Paris Ford playing next to DeMar Hamlin with, you know, three experienced corners on the other side. I mean, I think you can really do a lot with that. And I, I think that can help a young pass rush. I think that can help an inexperienced group of linebackers if if you can have trust in the backside. So I think that's one of the biggest things for this football team this year. And, it, you know, you, you can talk all you want, but they have to, you know, kind of prove it on the field. But with this group, they've actually proven it in some games last year. Yeah, Paris Ford is sort of that wild card, as you mentioned, because you talked about really highly rated recruit coming out of high school and that he hasn't really lived up to it yet. And there was some speculation that he might transfer this this past offseason. I think fans were worried that after just one year of playing that he would transfer and try somewhere else and that Narduzzi would lose this top recruit. Well, that did not happen. And all the credit in the world to, to Paris Ford, he decided to stick it out and to try to to prove his worth and to earn his spot. And that's what he's going to do. And it certainly seems like he's put himself in a good position to succeed. And now the real question is, will he be able to execute and, and will he live up to uh, that, that, uh, that reputation? Because even if he gets just a little bit of it, you talked about, yeah, this can be a scary, good defensive backfield. When you talk about DeMar Hamlin combined with Paris Ford combined with, a couple of seasoned uh, corners. So Paris Ford does seem to be almost that sort of make or break thing where if he makes it, this is an excellent defensive backfield. If he doesn't come up, then maybe you're talking about, you, you hate to think it, but you might be talking about a bust. He might want to transfer, you know, that, that could be a big swing and a miss. Yeah. I mean, it, it is kind of that make or break year for him. And like, like I said, uh, all camp long, the coaches, uh, the assistants, Narduzzi, it's, you, you know, you, you could look great in practice all you want, but it really comes down to, you know, when the lights come on against against Virginia in a couple of days. So uh, I, I think he has all the talent in the world. I, you know, Chris Peak, the guy I write with, with PantherLayer.com, he, he had a good story about the, uh, DeMar Hamlin and Paris Ford kind of being, uh, you know, they're different ages, but kind of big superstar high school players from the Pittsburgh area kind of growing up in the same town. And, you know, they, they became very close. So I think uh, they're looking forward to having one season together where they're both on the field making plays. So I think that kind of inspired Paris Ford that he wants to be out on the field with his friend and, 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 and he kind of wants to... He, he wants to prove everyone that he is what everyone said he was out of high school. So I, I think he kind of has that factor going for him. So well, like, like, like I said, we'll see it on the field. I mean, it, it, that's really what it comes down to. And he certainly has all this talent in the world and a ton of opportunity to succeed. We'll just see if he actually uh, is able to do it. And then finally, last position, special teams, Jim. Uh, what should, you know, you, you've got two uh, returning guys and Alex Kessman, your kicker, and uh, Kirk Christodoulou. Uh, at uh, at punter the Aussie, and so now they're returning. We saw some some good things from both, especially Kessman. This should be a a pretty reliable unit now, based on 
the fact these guys are back and they we really saw throughout the season last year them get better as the year went on. Yeah, starting with Kessman, I think he he's a pretty he he's a very good long ball kicker. I think he had a couple uh you know 50 plus yard kicks last year and some some impressive ones throughout his career. So, I think he he just wants to be a little more consistent in that 30 to 39 range and you know not kind of have any flubs and miss any there, but I think the thing with Kirk Christodoulou is he he got better throughout the year, but I did catch Pat Narduzzi kind of being a little disappointed with some of his performance in camp this week. So, I think it's more about just being consistent with him, but I, I think they do feel good about Kessman. I think he's going to have a really big year, and I, I think he actually probably has a professional future. I mean, he he's able to hit those those kicks from 50-plus yards, and kind of with regularity, I mean, it, the big thing with him is just kind of the shorter ones, kind of the, the layups, if you will. So I think he, he they feel pretty good there, and I think they just want a little more consistency out of Chris Dudulu. Yeah, it'll, I mean, as you mentioned, Kessman, especially on long balls, can be a big, per, you know, a big player, big factor for the Panthers. And Chris Tadulu, that's very interesting that you say that Narduzzi seemed a bit frustrated with him. So we'll keep an eye out on that to see because he he certainly caused some frustration on the field last year, especially early on in the season. So we'll see if that carries over into this year or if he's able to take a big step up so that that's the Panthers take the field this season uh so a f- a fantastic breakdown from Jim and and of course we appreciate it now before we let you go we have to do a a record prediction because looking at the Panthers this season we've got an interesting schedule and uh first we're just going to talk about starting the season off and then then we'll go through the wins and the losses but first I want to ask you what are you expecting from Pitt now that they're starting this season with a competitive game I mean it's the first time that's happened since I believe Florida State when they entered the ACC back in 2013 so normally you start off with a cupcake team an FCS team or something like that this year uh, we saw last year they had this monsoon of an offensive performance it was uh, outstanding and then it didn't really go anywhere so what do you think of the fact that Pitt is going to be starting because of the launch of the ACC network they're starting with an ACC game against a pretty good team in Virginia who many have picked to win the coastal this year what do you expect coming out of having a competitive matchup on week one? I think, uh, you know, heading into next week, the kind of the game prep week, I think it'll have uh, kind of everyone on their toes and it'll kind of have everyone, you know, at at their best. I think sometimes those those FCS games where you kind of – the coaches didn't really want to give off about what the offense and defense can do. They kind of played at vanilla. They just wanted everyone to stay healthy. And then sometimes that would cause them to be a little lackadaisical. And I think that kind of happened last year where they went up 33 nothing at halftime and didn't score in the second half, something along those lines. So I, I think playing Virginia, it'll have everyone a little bit sharper this week. It might have had everyone a little bit sharper during camp. So I think it's a big game. Obviously, you want to you know, start off the, the season well. And, you know, you, you, if you're in pitch shoes, you definitely want to defend your Coastal title. And if, if, if this is the team everyone is saying is going to win the Coastal, I mean, this this is a huge game. This is a pivotal game. And even last year, I think at, at a point in the season when Pitt did play Virginia, that was kind of for first place. So, you know, last year it decided the Coastal and very well this year it could decide the Coastal. So it's, it's a big game. And uh, I, I think 
the players are excited to play under the lights. They don't always get the opportunity to do that. So I think it, it, it'll provide a good atmosphere. I think the fans will be excited rather than playing a noon game, uh, something along those lines. So I think there'll just be a little more energy at Heinz Field in a couple weeks. Yeah, I really like it. I, I, one of the best atmospheres that I experienced at a Pitt game was that Florida State game. Now, of course, Pitt was blown out and they went on to win the national championship, but the fact that it was the first game of the year mixed with a really good game and a night game, I think put a, a lot of excitement into the stadium. And I think that's going to happen this time as well. I, I agree with you, Jim, that there is sort of this dichotomy when you've got an easy game and sort of a weaker team, but also you're kicking off the season. So you've got everyone amped and excited and the players are gearing to go and they finally get on the field. But the actual game itself is is not much of a contest. So I think when you have all that adrenaline and all the excitement of football season being back and you mix that into a really competitive game, I think that's actually going to be a benefit for the Panthers, and especially because it's a home game. Uh, maybe if it were an away game, it would be a little bit different because now the away fans are all amped up and you're still just working some things out. But I think especially because this is at home and Pitt's got a lot of returning players, there's a big opportunity here to excite the fans and, and again, excite the players because they're going to be taking the field for the first game of the season and they know that there's a ton on the line. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think another thing I wanted to add about this game and that kind of adds to the dynamic of it is, you know, in the past couple night games you can think of at Heinz Field, Pitt usually gets them on a Thursday night, which never generates a big crowd because it's a work night in the city. But I think Saturday being a holiday weekend, I think it'll kind of get everyone a little bit more excited. There might be a few extra fans that come to the game that normally wouldn't. So I think you know, Pitt doesn't usually get a Saturday home night game like this. So I, I think that also is a big factor as well. Yeah. And uh, by the way, shout out to the uh, Pitt Twitter Hailgate, uh, which will be going on all day long. You can uh, hit up at the Willard Hears on Twitter if you want to find out more. I know that's become a big thing with Pitt Twitter and, and the Pitt fan base. Uh, and then just one more thing, because before we uh, go down the actual schedule, Jim, looking at the, the non-conference schedule this year, there's always sort of the balance between wanting cupcakes and wanting easy wins, but then also wanting to put together a good resume. Uh, this year, Pitt has got Iowa, Penn State on the road uh, for the, the last time in quite a while, it seems. They've got UCF at home and then Delaware. Uh, this seems to be a relatively balanced and even non-conference schedule it's not too easy because of of the two bigger programs that you've got Penn State is in a very good spot right now as is UCF so it's going to be tough uh but certainly some opportunities there for the Panthers what are you seeing from this uh, non-conference schedule yeah it's not as daunting as last year because you're replacing uh, Notre Dame with Ohio so you, you kind of avoid playing another top 10 team and you, you replace it with a MAC team so I think that's the big big difference from last year to this year. And I know that's always been a rallying cry for Pitt fans is they, they would like to see an easier schedule. They, they kind of looked at Syracuse's season last year and said, wow, you know, they went nine and three and Pitt, you know, Pitt beat them and, but they played UConn and Wagner and whoever else they played. So I think Pitt fans always kind of want to, you know, lessen the schedule. But I think you look at it. I mean, it's a rivalry game. You want to play Penn state, uh, Ohio's a Mac team. That's kind of what you normally would play. Delaware's the, the FCS game, which you would normally play. And, you know, central Florida, I think at the time when they made the schedule, central Florida wasn't 
what it is right now. So, I mean, I, I, you know, it's kind of dumb luck that they turned into this powerhouse. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's, you know, on paper, it's obviously a very tough schedule when you play two top 15 teams. But, you know, how it was scheduled, I mean, you didn't know Central Florida was going to be what it is. So I think, you know, in a normal year playing three teams like that in Penn State, that's kind of what you want to do. Yeah, I agree. I think generally, and and as the season goes on, and this becomes a factor, and that you know storylines start popping up, I'm sure in one of these episodes I'll I'll go on some sort of a rant about things. And generally, I lean more towards the if you're not going to be playing for a national championship, you know, if you're not Clemson and you sort of have to prove something. Hell, even if you are Clemson and you sort of have to prove something, really, if you just win out, you're fine. You win your conference and all that, you're fine. But in this case, Pitt just wants to get themselves in the national conversation, and then they want to do well in the ACC. Last year, they did well in the ACC, but they weren't in the national conversation because they had losses in the non-conference to Penn State and UCF and Notre Dame. So you talk about this year, and I think this is about a good balance. If you've got four non-conference games, you want two of them to be pretty easy, and then you want two of them to maybe be a little bit marquee. I think certainly Penn State, it's a rivalry game, and you're always going to take that. Ideally, I would say you prefer both of the two bigger games be rivalry games. So of the two big teams, Penn State and West Virginia, or West Virginia and Notre Dame, or Penn State, something like that. Uh, But if that doesn't happen, UCF, as you said, Jim, when they were scheduling it, they didn't know they were going to be that good, and and that's never the case when you're scheduling that far out. You don't know how good teams are going to be. I think it's solid. I wouldn't, if it's not a rivalry, I'd be fine with just one really tough game. And then I know Cincinnati's going to be on the schedule coming up in a couple of years. So maybe just have one rivalry game plus a mid-level team like Cincinnati and then two of the, the smaller teams, perhaps. So I generally err on that side, but that's a conversation uh, for another day. Now, let's look at what we think the win-loss record will be and... Breaking down, Jim, I guess just go through, I'm taking a look at, at your, your uh, predictions on Twitter here. Just really quick, if you can run down what you think is going to be a win, what you think is going to be a loss. Yeah, I mean, I made my predictions last year, and it, I, I do admit it was kind of dumb luck that I went 12 for 12, but I, I you know, I guess it worked out that way. And I, this year, I, I, I guess I had to try to at least follow it up. So I do think they're going to come out and win that Virginia game. I think the Ohio game is a little tough because I think as far as MAC team goes, Ohio is one of the better ones. But I do think once they get into Penn State and UCF, so I think that's that's a couple of losses right there. So that's a two and two start. But I do think they'll kind of pick it up. I think they'll beat Delaware. I think they'll beat Duke to get to four and two. And you know, Syracuse is actually a pivotal game. I know Syracuse is getting a lot of preseason hype, but it seems like I think Pitt's won like fifteen out of the last seventeen with Syracuse. So I, I do think Pitt's going to find a way to win that game. Uh, it's, then I think it's a loss against Miami. I think they'll beat Georgia Tech because I think Georgia Tech, uh, they're kind of going through a rebuilding phase. They, uh, you know, they're transitioning from the tra- uh, triple option offense. So it's, I think it's going to take a couple years for them to kind of get out of that hole. Then, uh, of course, comes the big North Carolina game. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I always say I'm not going to pick per- – you know, Pitt to beat North Carolina until I actually see it happen. So, you know, this is a year where Pitt's actually probably more talented in North Carolina. They're also rebuilding. Uh, they haven't been good for the past couple of years. Uh, uh, they should win, but I'm I'm just going to say they're going to lose it. And uh, Virginia Tech's another one like Syracuse where it's, 
you know, Virginia Tech always gets a lot of preseason hype, but Pitt always has a lot of success against them. So I think uh, Virginia Tech, I think that's a win. And then at the end of the year, I, I really don't know what to make out of Boston College. I know they have a very good running game, uh, but at the same time, they're usually in that kind of that same boat as Pitt in that seven and five, eight and four cusp. So I think that'll actually be a big game, uh, you know, Thanksgiving weekend, but I have that as a loss. So, uh, you know, I came out to seven and five. I mean, I think, you know, I look, I say Ohio, Duke, Delaware, and Georgia Tech kind of seem like, you know, close to sure wins. I think Penn State and Central Florida are probably sure losses. And the other six are coin flips. So how many times does, you know, six coin flips turn out heads? And how many times does it turn out tails? I don't know. I, I kind of went right down the middle and ended up at seven and five. That's generally sort of the strategy I go with where – I. I'm not even right now going to to give out an exact what I think the the wins and the losses will be because I normally don't even when I do guess it I'm I'm really just doing that coin flip thing where I see two games that could go either way and so I just pick one to be a win and one to be a loss and if one the, the one that I think is going to be a win is a loss then I think the other one then becomes a win uh, a lot of these you just don't expect pit to get all of them uh similar to you i think uva is going to be a win but that should be a phenomenal game ohio i think is a win i do think they lose to penn state and ucf i think they beat delaware i think they beat duke i've got them losing to syracuse uh where you've got a win i've got a loss to miami i've got a win against georgia tech now that Larry Fedora is gone, I think he was the reason Pitt could never win. I think the Panthers are going to beat UNC. Now, I also thought that was the case with Ryan Switzer. I thought he was the reason Pitt couldn't beat UNC. He left, and Pitt still lost. But now I'm going to say it's Larry Fedora, and now he's gone, so I think Pitt can win. And then, really, those last two games, uh, I think pretty much just a, a toss-up. Either they lose to Virginia Tech and beat Boston College, or it goes the other way. But... I also come to the same conclusion as you do, Jim. Seven and five, I think it's an up and down season. There are going to be some frustrating losses. There are going to be some thrilling wins. Uh, looking at seven and five, I mean, in in this at this point in Arduzzi's tenure, Jim, what should we expect? I mean, what is a good season? Would last year I said, and I said the entire time, seven and five is what I thought was good like if they finish seven and five in the regular season to me that is a good year that means they did what they were supposed to do it's not excellent but they did what they were supposed to do I was happy with last year even with how it finished I thought they they achieved the goal last year what I thought the goal should be in your opinion should that be the same goal this year should we expect an eighth regular season win like what Narduzzi got at the beginning of his tenure what should be the goal of where you look at the end of the regular season and say yeah that was a good season yeah, I mean, I think you're kind of getting to that point in, in, in his tenure where you kind of want to see him win more than seven games. You kind of want to see him get back to at least eight and four. And, you know, you always want to do better than that even. So I, I think it's getting close to that point. Um, I think this year, I think he, you know, he's not going to lose his job for losing five games, but he, you kind of want to get to that point where you want to see him be a little bit better than seven and five. But I think next year, I think, is kind of geared more uh, in Pitt's favor. I think... They have a lot of starters, uh, you know, that are underclassmen this year. I think, you know, getting Penn State off the schedule next year, it's going to be a little bit easier. But, you know, you don't want to always point to next year being the year. You kind of want to say at some point you have to kind of put your foot down and make it your year. So it's kind of getting to that point in Narduzzi's tenure. I don't think he's on the hot seat. I don't think he's going to lose his job. Um, 
But at, at some point, you know, five losses in a, a regular season isn't always going to be good enough. Right. And and I'm sort of guilty because I thought last year, I thought, OK, 2018, just get seven regular season wins. To me, that's good. And if you get that, that is a good season. And then I thought, OK, 2019, that's going to be the year to take a big step up and pick it. You know, he, he can uh, take a big leap. He'll be a junior, blah, blah, blah. Well, now that year is here and I'm I'm tempering my expectations a little bit. I still think that they should be a little bit better than last year, but based on the flaws that I saw, based on the personnel that they lost, I, I I'm sort of in that same boat. I think if you get seven regular season wins, it's at least acceptable. So maybe it's, it's, maybe one step above last year, whereas last year I thought seven regular season wins is good. Now that's acceptable. I think eight wins is good to very good. So it's it's not even a full step up. It's more of like a half a step. If they could get to seven and a half wins, I would think that would be a good season. But yeah, I think you you want to be, and if you, you don't want there to be serious calls about Narduzzi being fired or anything like that, you need at least seven wins. And certainly eight would help his case, and of course the more the merrier. But I do think you're in that area. Right around seven or eight is in between the acceptable to good range. And if you hit nuts at this point in his career, seven is fine. Eight would be a little bit better. Yeah, I I, I agree. If you if you can get back to eight, and you know, looking through Narduzzi's tenure, he's actually been very good. Uh, you know, within the ACC, it's always come back to. Um, but you know, the non-conference schedule. And once again, you have two very non-top, you know, very tough non-conference games. So, uh, you can't slip up against Ohio cause you have really two tough ones after that. And uh, again, I mean, it, it comes down to, you can go five and three in the, in the ACC and be a factor in the ACC coastal race, even six and two. But again, it comes down to, you might have two losses in the non-conference play. So again, it, you know, it comes back to that earlier conversation. I mean, he's, he's, he's done well against conference opponents. He's, you know, he, he's had a good record against Georgia tech and Virginia tech and, and Duke. And, but you know, he can't beat North Carolina. He's had trouble with Miami and he's had trouble in the non-conference. So it's kind of been a, you know, an, you know, one step forward, two steps back one, you know, the, the whole time in his career. So at some point, like you said, you, you want to do better than this eight, seven win threshold. And I mean, I think this year, I think eight wins would be very good, like you said, but uh, you know, at some point, I think people are going to start to get slightly annoyed if, if, if seven wins continues. Yeah, I do think that that's basically where we are at this point is seven wins. It's it's enough. It's solid. It's fine. But you're going to have some people who are upset and they're going to be there's going to be some talk about a hot seat to play it safe. Get eight wins would be if, if I'm advising Pat Narduzzi, play it safe, get that eighth regular season win and you've got nothing to worry about. But and I certainly think that's possible. It's not out of the realm of possibility, whereas last year I, I would have said I, I know some people were saying eight. I never thought eight was possible in the regular season. This year, I, I do think it's possible because you win the games you're, you're supposed to win. You know, you beat Ohio, you beat Delaware, you lose the games you're supposed to lose, Penn State and UCF, and then you've got room for two ACC losses, and we've talked about how Pat Narduzzi has been very good in conference. You can lose two games and still make it to the ACC championship, still have an 8-4 and record, 
and there aren't really any unbeatable teams that they're playing in conference this year. There's no Clemson on on the docket. There's not an unbeatable Coastal team. So there's certainly wiggle room there to lose to the two non-conference bigger teams, to lose two ACC games, and still have a really good season. But even if he gets that third loss, I think it's acceptable. But we'll see. You and I both agree 7-5 and five is the prediction. If he gets that, things are fine. But 8-4 and four would be better. I think we're both in agreement. Uh, Jim, I want to thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Really appreciate it. Again, you can uh, go follow Jim at Twitter, at Jim Hammett. And uh, you can check out his stuff on Panther Lair. And uh, again, thank you so much uh, for coming back and, and doing this podcast. We really appreciate having you back on. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you later in the season as you've got a, a front row seat to all the action coming up with pit football this year. Uh, we're going to be back after every single game and uh, it should be a fun season, folks. I think uh, everyone who follows this team is hoping that there's a lot of excitement, that there's a lot of intrigue uh, and, and we'll see how the Panthers follow up after last year. So uh, for my guest, Jim Hammett, I'm Corey Cohen, thanking you so much and signing off this week, new season unscripted, the cardiac hill podcast. <laughs>